Okay, well, good morning. It is good to be with you. Good morning. Thank you. Hey. I go by a lot of things. It's okay. It's, uh, it's good to be here with you. I uh, just want to make a few announcements uh, briefly. Uh, this is our last week for this class. Uh, we'll be finishing up today on uh, how our fellowship is to be uh, a witness to the world. And so we'll spend some time considering and talking about that this morning. Uh, but I uh, want to begin getting your thoughts, if they're not already, uh, towards the next block of classes that will start uh, next Sunday. Uh, and there's some great classes. So I know in here, a couple of weeks ago, was mentioned uh, how helpful it would be to have a class on uh, some cultural issues. And so uh, that just, in God's providence, was in our plan. Uh, so that's, uh, that's coming up. Uh, it's called Biblical Justice. Uh, Pastor Alex will be teaching that. Uh, so I encourage you if, uh, I can't remember, was that Marilyn that you mentioned that? I think it was, yeah. Uh, so that might be a really good opportunity to kind of touch and scratch that uh, itch as it relates to how do we think through some of those hot topic cultural issues that are uh, taking place, um, whether it be um, you know, social justice uh, as it relates to economics or race, uh, I know he's going to take on some of that, just how the church should think about those things. Uh, and so I'm looking forward to that. I'm, I'm actually planning on uh, hopefully being in that class uh, myself, except for next week, because Pastor Jerry asked if I would teach for him in his class while he's preaching in big church. So uh, we're, we're all kind of playing musical chairs. As, uh, but uh, anyway, uh, that's a class coming up, uh, Discovering NCC. If you've not taken that, as I look around, I think uh, most of you, I think, have been part of that class. Uh, so that may not apply here. But then um, uh, uh, what is the class that I'm helping Pastor Cherry teach next week? It is uh, something on broken uh, relationships. Um, so I don't remember what the title is, but uh, we'll be doing that uh, and uh, talking about how it is that we go about uh, restoring broken relationships that have uh, been affected by uh, living in a sin-cursed world. And uh, we all know that by experience, right? Uh, and so talking about what is the biblical uh, process for reconciling uh, relationships. And so uh, I'll, I'll be in there next week and then Pastor Jerry will uh, fix everything that I taught uh, that first week. So, uh, And then uh, Mark is teaching a class, uh, part two of uh, uh, the prophets. And so um, that's, that's going to be ongoing uh, course for, uh, for next week as well. So looking forward to uh, those times together and I uh, just wanted to get back over here and make sure that I'm not missing uh, anything. Uh, Grief Share uh, started yesterday so uh, I think we had like 12 or 13 uh, folks in that, um, that course that uh, is helping folks uh, process through grief. <coughs> if that's uh, something that would be a blessing to you or somebody that you know I'd encourage you they can jump in at any time uh, it'd be beneficial. Uh, there also will be doing a uh, surviving the holidays session. Uh, 
uh, as it gets uh, closer to the holidays. Uh, for those that have gone through uh, personal profound loss, we all know and understand that uh, the holidays are especially difficult. And so uh, they're doing a special session uh, for that. If that would be a blessing or help to you, again, or anyone you know, uh, maybe consider that. Uh, we're having our uh, family fall picnic, uh, so something new that we're trying, that we're just going to uh, have a few folks over at the Wildwood Park um, for a picnic uh, here coming up on uh, October 7th, so I guess that's this Saturday, um, and uh, from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m., and so it's just kind of a casual, not quite what our Memorial Day picnic is, uh, but just an opportunity to spend some time uh, outside um, on at the at the park there, uh, having some food and hanging out and spending time together. So all are welcome uh, if you'd like to be part of that. And then our men's conference coming up, all in. Uh, so we're uh, looking forward to that. Uh, we've got a uh, special speaker coming in for that. And uh, the cost is $35 Friday night. Uh, and Saturday uh, sessions and then Saturday afternoon there's a few uh, activities to do together. Uh, so I think top golf and uh, X golf and some pickleball and some uh, various different things just to uh, do together as men. Uh, so we're trying this out typically in uh, years past we've done uh, Trout Lodge and uh, we want to try to uh, make it a little more accessible. Uh, I know for us, we are in the thick of soccer season uh, as a family. So we've got uh, Monday through Thursday soccer so uh, practices and then Saturday and Sunday games. So uh, the only day off we actually have as a family this fall is Friday, uh, which is a little crazy, but a lot of fun. But we all understand that that's kind of um, a reality for many many of us in the fall, so we're trying to do something a little different that allows guys maybe to come and go as, as their schedules allow and uh, take advantage of that. So uh, with that said, I think that's uh, the main things uh, kind of going on right now. But uh, let's pray and we will uh, get into our session for today. Father, thanks for this time that we can be uh, gathered together and the opportunity to uh, look at this topic uh, of fellowship over these last few weeks, uh, but specifically this morning, uh, how our fellowship is to be a witness to the world. Uh, we pray that it would not just be uh, something that we consider as the value to ourselves, uh, but as a value to what you are seeking to do uh, in uh, the world around us and that we would be a part of that and that uh, our love for one another would spill over and splash on uh, to others in the world and that they would see that and experience it and uh, ask the hope that's within us because they just see something so evidently different. So Lord, we pray that uh, that would be a benefit and a blessing to all of us here today. Uh, that we would uh, think about these things uh, both uh, theologically, but uh, also practically. Uh, pray that uh, you would help us all uh, today and that we would apply these truths, not only hear them, but, but apply them to be doers of the word. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as, uh, as I mentioned, as we conclude the class today, uh, we want to look at the impact that our fellowship should have, not only within the church, but outside of the church. Um, our fellowship should be so distinctive that others outside of the church should be able to see and know 
that we are indeed believers, his disciples, and that that should have an impact and an influence upon uh, the world around us, uh, that we should not be so uh, insulary and isolated to uh, our relationships within the church that that doesn't end up splashing out and touching other people. And so that's really kind of the, the focus that we want to spend in wrapping this class up. It would be very easy, and I would argue dangerous, that we just kind of leave the discussion of fellowship as this internal value and this internal um, practice that we could be involved in uh, and just the benefits that it would give to us as believers, uh, we would be stop, stopping quite short, uh, really, as we look at the scriptures and even some of the passages that we've already seen, but we'll emphasize uh, a couple of points of them a little distinctly this morning uh, to show that really God's plan for uh, our fellowship is not merely that we would enjoy it, but that others outside of the church would see it, experience it, and realize, wow, there is something different uh, that those people live for and that they have for each other uh, that I don't have in my life, and that that would be a witness to them. And so as I mentioned the first week of our class here, our fellowship is intrinsically born out of the inner Trinitarian relationship within the Godhead. We talked about that. We looked uh, there uh, in Genesis. We looked in John 17. Uh, we looked at some of these passages where we see this inner Trinitarian relationship that's taking place within the Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And in John 17, we are actually invited into that relationship, uh, which is just kind of mind-boggling. Uh, we spent some time, uh, even at the Forge on Friday morning, uh, kind of talking about some of the uh, intricacies of uh, the, the Trinity and, and how to understand that properly. I would encourage you, if you weren't there on Friday morning, uh, you can go back and you can listen to that on our live stream archive. That would be uh, probably a help to you. Uh, but Pastor Rich and I have been spending uh, quite a bit of time just uh, talking uh, together about uh, these implications because really uh, the next few chapters in the Gospel of John uh, really just kind of keep recurring this theme uh, of this uh, inner Trinitarian relationship that we are invited into. John 14, 15, 16, 17 all really keep kind of circling back uh, to this and uh, it's, it's one of those things that quite frankly uh, at least in Rich and I's experience in seminary, as we've been talking about it, uh, certainly we talked about um, you know historical uh, Orthodox Trinitarianism in, in uh, seminary, but we didn't really go into the depth of detail that as we look at these chapters in John that it really requires, uh, because there is a lot there that um, you know, you can kind of slip off the log on either side and land in heresy <laughs> on, on kind of either side of this thing. And so to, to make sure that we are investigating it and, and that we're just clear and sharp on it has been a lot of really good conversation and uh, a book that he's reading right now and I'm getting ready to uh, pick it up and start reading it because uh, uh, it's just been a fruitful, helpful uh, conversation. But for our purposes here this morning, uh, suffice it to say, our oneness in the Trinitarian relationship 
is to be seen practically in our lives. It's not just to be this theoretical, you know, theological construct, but it's to be practically demonstrated uh, in our lives. And providentially, as we're in the section of the Gospel of John on Sunday mornings, whereby the theme is being hit, uh, we, we begin to see this, and it's going to be good to just kind of go over these next few weeks. So I really want you to kind of keep this in mind, uh, not only as we depart from this class here, but as we keep hearing this over the next several weeks in the Gospel of John, uh, it's going to keep coming up. Uh, we'll be hearing and seeing this theme uh, repeated, and I would just encourage you to, to really focus on that. But uh, for us this morning, uh, John 13, if you want to open back up to there, a passage that we were just in uh, a couple of weeks ago in, in church, but um, it's, it's a reminder here and, and a specific focus that we want to look at this morning. Uh, John 13, 34 and 35, he says here, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another, All right? So we see that uh, the... Uh, indicative here of what we are to understand is that uh, our, our love for one another is motivated out of his love for us, right? Even as 1 John, the Apostle John writes in 1 John that uh, we love because he first loved us. Well, this is just kind of restated in a slightly different way here, is that the reason that we are to love one another is because he has loved us. And by this, verse 35, all people will know. And this is really what we want to focus on this morning. We've talked a lot about the implications and impact of fellowship and, and the fellowship that we have in Christ and how that should impact our fellowship with one another. But then here he says in verse 35, by this, so this love for one another, this love for Christ, people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And so what we begin to see here is that when we have fellowship with God through the person of Christ, this will lead you and I to have authentic fellowship with each other, and this leads to being a testimony to the watching world around us. So God's love for us motivates our love for one another, and therefore, as that takes place, the watching world around us can see that evidently displayed in our lives, and this should be a witness to them. Maybe another way to say that is your first point here, our inward fellowship is to have an outward impact. Our inward fellowship is to have an outward impact. Our love and fellowship as believers should be so distinctive that our world should be able to clearly see that we are disciples of Christ. The verse suggests that love for one another serves as a powerful witness to the world. And when Christians genuinely love each other and extend that love beyond their community, it becomes a compelling testimony for their faith. And this love can attract others to the Christian faith and demonstrate its transformative power in a person's life. And so this morning, what I want to do in this first point is just kind of think about some of the practical implications of what that may mean for us. 
I want to just think together about some of the implications for this truth for fellowship together. And, and uh, maybe the first thing there uh, that I could, uh, as, as I was thinking about it, is our identification as disciples. Uh, that we need to uh, consider this. This verse makes it clear that being a disciple of Jesus is not solely defined by theological knowledge, religious rituals, or outward appearance of any kind, but rather it's primarily identified by the presence of genuine love amongst believers. Now, for me personally, that's an immediate challenge to me because I would say first and foremost, I typically identify myself and even our church and uh, as what we have uh, in common uh, theologically and, and kind of we're a reformed church would maybe be an example of that. Like we're, you know, and, and I first and foremost see our identity uh, as disciples, as our theological stance on things. The problem with that is that's not what Jesus says that we should be known for. It should be that we are known for our love for one another. Now, it does not say that, to, to say that, that theological positions are unimportant. That's not what we're saying. But what my first experience was with, um, with Reformed theology, for example, and I'm just using this as, as an example, um, in college, the particular gentleman that I first met that believed uh, in Reformed theology was maybe one of the most arrogant guys I'd ever met in my life. And I was like, wow, like that, that is troubling. Um, if, if that theology leads to that, I don't think I want anything of it. But what I learned over time is that what is true of Reformed theology it actually should do the exact opposite. And so our Reformed theology should actually move us towards a great love for Christ because what he has done sovereignly in our hearts and therefore for others, what we should extend that love towards other people uh, in our lives. And so what Jesus says here is he does not say, and I think this should be instructive to us, that he does not say uh, you will be known for your theological astuteness or you should be known for your precision theologically. And I think churches like ours, and I'm just, I'll, I'll be the first to admit it personally, uh, it would be easy to live practically that way. And I think I do. I think I slip kind of in and out of that all the time, personally. But what he says here is that they would know us for our love for one another. It's our Savior saying that. Uh, so I think that's pretty instructive. It's primarily identifying us by the presence of our genuine love amongst ourselves, and this implies that love is a hallmark of our Christian identity, uh, which, which I think should be uh, thoughtfully instructive. So I just want to kind of open it up. How can we make our love for one another evident? Uh, what are some thoughts that you have as it relates to, uh, we, we could just kind of leave this in like this ethereal place of just like, oh yeah, we should love one another. 
But I think uh, what we see in the New Testament is that really begins taking hands and feet in very practical ways. And I want to just talk about it a little bit this morning of what do you think that can or should, uh, what it would be helpful, maybe what you have experienced from someone else that you like, man, that, that was a true demonstration of love uh, when I experienced that. What, what are some thoughts that you might have? Lynn. I'll say something about my husband. So, um, you know, he loves his art, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I thought something sweet was coming. <laughs> <laughs> his yard. But we have a neighbor who I, I have a hard time loving. Hmm. And he is an alcoholic, and I've just seen things in him that make me uncomfortable, and I don't go out of my way to be extra friendly. I mean, I say hello to him, and but Doug um, started to mow his yard. And um, well, I could say there was an ulterior motive because he lives right next door and he wanted his yard to look as good. But um, <laughs> he spends a lot of time and money and resources to do that for Tom. And Tom is very appreciative, and when he can and he's sober, he will come and mow our yard, and he'll, you know, cook the barbecues, and he'll bring food over, which is super sweet, and he kind of likes what he cooks, so that's really nice. But I, that is a real practical way mm. that he shows mm. love mm. Um, for him. Mm. So, Doug, I'm curious how you respond when he comes and mows your yard. <laughs> when he doesn't see you. I'm pretty sure the hum of a mower would give it away. But. I mowed the yard once when he was gone. He came back and he was like, oh. My favorite story of Doug as it relates to his yard is the day that he uh, spilt some fertilizer out on the yard and he goes and gets the shop vac and vacuums it up <laughs> off of the yard so that, yeah, yeah, it's actually a very ingenious idea. That, uh, I don't know that I would have thought of that, but yeah, I mean, it'll, it'll, too much in one spot will burn it and kill it, right? So, uh, yeah, that's, that's great. Thank you, Lynn. Uh, what else? What is some ways that we can, uh, yeah, Doug. I, you know, I, I'm sure it had an impact on neighbors, but when COVID was occurring, um, the Callens, who are older uh, and can't feel the uh, compromising immune system Carol, um, they just took it upon themselves to uh, find people in our church who needed some fellowship because it was kind of a yep. hard time. Yep. And they made meals, they made meals. And they just say, hey, we got a meal for you, we're coming over. And then they would put the meal on their front porch and, and uh, talk to them from yeah. the car. Yeah. And uh, that was just, nobody asked them to do that. They just did it a lot. Yeah. I'm sure that had an impact on other people. As, yeah. the, as those people who were the recipients said, yeah, the people mm. at the church just showed up on the meal. Mm. You know, that just, that, it's, 
spills out, you're like, really? Okay. Weird, but nice. That has an impact. Yeah. Yeah. Really. I think intentionally being thoughtful, but I also think we need to define the difference between loving somebody um, in Christ's love, and you have churches now that they love everyone. Everyone is welcome. Sure. Yep. You have to have a theological Absolutely. Yep. There. Yep. Um, but just being thoughtful. Yeah. Having people for meals. Yeah. And taking it to them when we are. Yeah. Sending a note, making a phone call. Yeah. Yeah. No, thank you for that clarification because, yeah, we're, again, in this not saying we're throwing out our theological underpinnings of uh, what we believe and what the scriptures teach uh, to be loving, right? Uh, we have to be uh, keep that within the biblical parameters uh, of what uh, the scriptures teach us as it relates to how we are to love, uh, because biblical love does not mean just embracing sin, um, and, and we got to be careful about that. Yeah, good. Thank you. Yeah, Eric. Um, I mean, even this morning, Callie wakes up at five in the morning. Our little son is turning three today. And so Callie, she gets up early, makes a special breakfast for little Cooper and has all these like little things all laid out for him. And he wakes up and he's so excited. And, you know, just real like tangible expressions of love that yeah, she does day in and day out for, for our kids. And just thinking about the passage as well, how our Lord did that. It was just that perfect example of that. But yeah, yeah I, I was just thinking even today, she was just faithfully doing that and just really clearly demonstrating Christ's love. Yeah, and you know, Eric, as I look around the world, um, whether it's as in the grocery store yesterday, grabbing a few things, um, and uh, I experience uh, moms and dads um, that you know are just rude and unkind to their children. Uh, and, you know, in the grocery store, or, you know, uh, out on the soccer field, I hear it, um, you know, where, where this demonstration of just this harshness and, you know, um, uh, just unkind, um, you know, and I think, you know, Courtney and I've talked about it, it's just uh, as we seek to live just what Christ would call us to live with our family, with our children, um, you know, we get, you know, statements and comments from people, you know, out in the community. Uh, and it, it can be something very, you know, small, but demonstrating our love for our children, whether it's in the home in such ways like that, or out in the world and community where people begin to, you know, uh, we're, we're completely taken back sometimes by like, you know, this, the discussion like at school was getting, oh, thank the Lord school is coming, you know, so my, I can get my kids out of my hair kind of thing again. You know, it's like, no, like we we actually are almost sad at the end of the summer where, you know, our kids are, you know, going back to school and we don't have, you know, as much time with them and, and that kind of thing. Why? Because we love our kids and we see that as an arm of our discipleship, right? Uh, so, you know, our love can be seen even in that. It's not just, you know, I, I think it'd be easy to forget the little ones amongst us, whether they're our own children or or others that we demonstrate that kind of love towards them. So, yeah, thank you. What else? Yeah, Don. Well, my 90-year-old uh, grandmother, when she was alive at Widows, uh, had a family down the street from her that uh, sort of adopted her. Hmm. And uh, we got to talking about that. You know, why, why is that that they would do that? Is it Christian love or whatever? We're okay. Out, uh, 
not to pick on Catholics, but they were Catholics, mm -hmm. and they counted that as their works yeah. to get into heaven yeah. along with their faith. Yeah. And so it does make you wonder what's your motive in doing something for another person. Yeah. Or, or you know, it, uh, it could be that uh, maybe you're uh, doing something for somebody where you're going to call the favor in at a future point. Yeah. You know, from them and expect them to return the favor. Yeah. Uh, which, of course, is not Christian love. Mm. What you're talking about is just pure motivation to do something without expecting anything in return. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, and I think taking those opportunities as they come, like if it, the tables were turned and that's one of us, right, doing uh, that to take that opportunity to say, let me help you understand why I am doing this. You know, it, it has nothing to do with getting to heaven or pleasing God. He's as pleased with me as he'll ever be through the person of Christ. But because of that love that he's demonstrated towards me, I can't but help to let that splash out on you and serve you in this kind of way. And so taking those opportunities, I think sometimes we're, uh, we do those things, but we don't necessarily take the opportunity to express why. Not that we always have to, but I think there's sometimes those are wonderful opportunities that create conversation about, hmm, you know, what's, what's going on there? And, and to take that opportunity to express uh, why we are doing what we're doing uh, because of the gospel. So, uh, does it? Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, that's really good. Yeah, Meryl. I think she makes a very good point. It's hard to not love, to not like somebody that you pray for. Hmm. That's a great point. Yeah. Yeah. And even our enemies, Jesus says, right? Um, to love them and minister to them. Yeah. Was there another one? Yeah. Brief. 
set aside time, talent, and money to, to bless someone, to serve someone, and not just like pray and send a small card, but to go to them and say, hey, how can I serve you? Like, let me set up something. Um, and for me, who I ride by more spontaneity, you know, spontaneity, I'm like, for me, that was a greater challenge than the drop of a hat, like, hey, I need someone to go grab groceries. I'm like, I can grab that. But when, you know, putting the time and effort and heart attitude into preparing to bless someone, um, for me, that was a really great challenge because then it helped me recognize that as I began implementing that practice, whenever you did have those drop of a hat moments, you were able to recognize them a lot quicker. Um, and kind of that training kicks in and your, your brain and heart go, oh yeah, we want to bless this person. And you've already thought through the process of why, why, why? And it kind of gives you the, the chance to kind of reor reorient yourself before the Lord and say, Lord, let me use this chance to bless this person um, and use me in spite of myself sometimes. Hmm. Yeah, good, good. Yeah, Tim. Um, can you define, because we're talking about love, First mm -hmm. John uh, 2, 9, it says, anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brother is still in the darkness. What's the definition of, of hate in that situation? Because I know sometimes we really have a hard time loving somebody who doesn't keep their lawn clean. <laughs> uh, yeah, sorry, I'm just looking at it here a little bit. So my, um, what I would say just uh, as I'm looking at this and, and reminded of, of kind of the context, uh, what's taking place here, um, that... Um, First and foremost, uh, our love for the brethren uh, should be a demonstration uh, or proof even, as First John is putting out, uh, of our love for God. Uh, and so when the opposite of tr is true of our lives is that we really don't have any of that demonstration and manifestation of a love for the brethren, uh, then what he's arguing is you really don't have a love for God either. Uh, and so a nat another way to say that is, is precisely what we're saying is that uh, when there's a love for God demonstrated in our hearts, we then, we love because he first loved us, that will be demonstrated out. And so really the discussion just becomes, well, what are practical ways that we can demonstrate that love for our brethren that would splash out onto the world. But I don't know if that yeah, gets to your... Yeah, it's like it's the opposite of yes. the void of the love. Yes, the yeah, yeah. It, it's, yeah, so what, what the Apostle John is doing in First John is he's setting out really proofs of what it is to be in Christ uh, and how you can know if you are in Christ. And so he's using this, a love for the brethren, as, you know, a proof of your love for God, uh, because that's a practical manifestation, because we can all say, well, yeah, of course I love God, right? We have conversations with people that, yeah, yeah, I, you know, I, I love God, and I know God, and well, but what does that look like demonstrated in, in your life? Well, I don't go to church, and I, I don't really have any interaction with other believers. I well, what First John says here is, well, then, the love of the Father is not in you. Um, and and so he's just kind of playing out uh, those different proofs of um, what
whether you're in the darkness or whether you're in the light. So I don't know if that helps, but yeah. yeah. Uh, any other? Yeah, I Kathy. I don't know but um, I don't know if this applies to Jacob, I love thee, so I hate it. But um, it seemed to me that when I heard the explanation about that, it, God didn't have the same regard for Esau that he did for Jacob. Yeah. So maybe yeah. in that case, it could be the same regard. It doesn't really mean word hate, like we interpret hate. Yeah. Now, yeah, and you know, even Jesus uses uh, when he's saying uh, to follow me, you must hate your mother and father. You know, it's it's that same kind of idea, uh, right? It doesn't mean that there's actually. I mean, it could be, could be like this visceral, you know, relationship towards you know someone, uh, but it doesn't have to be. Uh, it, it, he's Jesus obviously isn't calling us to actually, you know, hate our uh, father and mother in in that context. It's it's simply saying that your love in comparison, you know, for Christ, uh, it, it would look as, yeah, maybe a disregard or, a, you know, uh, even, even as Jesus was in the temple, you know, you know, should I not be about my father's business? Like, you know, it wasn't, he wasn't being disobedient and, you know, rebellious to his parents. Uh, he was seeking the kingdom of God, and that just so happened to, uh, you know, be perceived as uh, something lesser than um, his respect for uh, what he was doing. So, uh, obviously, Jesus was sinless, right? Um, and so we understand that. But uh, anything else? Yeah, Callie and then Becca. Yeah, I think it, um, like the verse 35, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. It's been really encouraging and sweet to see that I would say our church involvement over the years has been one of the greater witnesses to my family um, who doesn't know the Lord. Just they're like, why does this exist this way? Why do these relationships yeah. exist this way? Um, the idea of like love keeps no record of wrongs, like how we hmm. reconcile and stay committed in these relationships versus in the world. It's like if someone wrongs you, I'm done with that person. And, yeah, write them off. Yeah. 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 So I think, um, and just uh, one of our churches in Kansas City that we're involved in, there was a young lady who moved um, there and had no family in town and had a baby and a lot of the women in the church created a list and just signed up of different hours to come over in the middle of the night even to like help with this baby. And we just had a baby at the time and my mom was helping us a lot. And so she knew <laughs> the sacrifice she was making, but this idea of these women in the church who don't know this young lady going over there and serving in that way was just kind of like hmm. a head scratcher. Mm -hmm. Why? And, hmm. um, I would say my parents similarly, when they come here um, to our church, are just very impressed by everyone who comes up and knows what's going on in our life, and we're all very involved with one another and follow up, and um, it's just really evident hmm. that we have this love, and it's really impactful for them um, every time. So, really cool to see that. Yeah. Yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah. Becca, did you have a comment? Yeah, I would say similarly with Callie is um, I had a sweet um, couple who, when I was moving, um, the wife came over and helped me pack. The next day, she couldn't help because she was with the kids, but she sent her husband to help move. Hmm. Um, and, you know, uh, all the guys there, like, tried to really engage my dad and talk to him and then after that she cooked dinner for all of us to come have more fellowship that moved because we all be tired and my parents were just like wow like and you're not paying them like huh. and these friends are just showing up and they're volunteering huh. and they want to help and they're like 
joyful and they're making jokes and like the, to my parents who've seen friends gather around and help me twice now hmm. um, since I've been at NCC, they just are always marveled at that and always ask lots of questions um, too and are always yeah like wow how kind is that they hmm. do that and you know so it's just a big witness to them. That's awesome. Yeah, that's exactly what we're talking about. So, yeah, and I would just, uh, as we're thinking about this, uh, so thinking about our identity as disciples, but also, and I think we've hinted around, you know, some of these things is uh, how uh, that identity and how that impact is really a countercultural witness. Uh, in many societies, due to our total depravity, um, selfless love and forgiveness and compassion, even as was mentioned there, uh, stand really in pretty stark contrast to the prevailing cultural norms of self-interest, competition, and even division. Uh, and so therefore, living out the love described in this verse can be really a countercultural witness that challenges society values and norms. And so, uh, thinking about those kind of things of like, wow, like these aren't, you know, just friends coming over to help, but like they seem to have this, you know, love for one another and, and to the point where they're even asking uh, questions. Uh, but I, I was thinking through this a little bit too, as it relates to even our moral and ethical standards. Uh, love for one another sets a high moral and ethical standard for us. And it implies a commitment to treating others with kindness empathy, forgiveness, and even challenging circumstances that we treat each other with that kind of love. Um, and this love should extend not only to fellow believers, but also to all people as it reflects this universal love of God that's in our hearts uh, for mankind, made in His image, even I think as we talked about that first week, is that why would, why would we even love unbelievers, right? So maybe it's a little easier to love one another, but we also have a love for those outside of the walls of the church because they're also made in the image of God. And we understand that as believers better than they do. They, don't, they may even deny that. Uh, but we understand and we can be motivated to love them and to have that kind of forgiveness of wrongs done and, and those kinds of things because of our understanding uh, what this looks like. And so uh, pursuing reconciliation and uh, with relationships and to fulfill uh, what uh, we have the opportunity to have uh, these kind of relationships with with others uh, even outside of the church. Uh, but even service and sacrifice, I think that was mentioned uh, several times here. Uh, love often involves acts of service and sacrifice that's inconvenient uh, to us. And this implies that Christians should be willing to serve others even at a personal cost to themselves as demonstrated of their commitment to following Jesus' example and such sacrificial love can inspire others and uh, work in their hearts uh, even as we uh, give of ourselves and our resources and our um, time, whatever that may be, to uh, reach out and, and care and love for others. So. Uh, really, I think John 13.35 really begins to underscore that love for one another is the defining characteristic of a disciple, and that should be played out in these kinds of practical ways. And I'm sure many that maybe didn't even mention, you're thinking of ideas, and its implications include serving as a powerful witness 
to the world, that they might hear and know uh, of the love of Christ because of how we demonstrate that love towards each other, that they might know, and even towards them, that they might know, like mowing the yard or doing whatever that may be and finding ways to uh, show them uh, that we have an intentional love towards, uh, towards others that's not first and foremost found in ourselves, but uh, is evidence of the love of God that's been demonstrated towards us. We love him in return and we love others as a result. And so uh, that really begins to be the understanding that, that our fellowship uh, should have this external impact. Uh, but secondly here, our pursuit of godliness is a witness to the world. So not only our fellowship, but the pursuit of godliness. Uh, and if we begin to kind of going back and looking at the nation of Israel, uh, they were a people chosen by God, right? God's chosen people. Being God's chosen people meant that Israel received great blessings and privileges over the years, that this was uh, what God was uh, accomplishing and doing in their lives. However, that wasn't God's ultimate purpose in choosing them. Not only did God want Israel to know him, he wanted the whole world to know him, right? So he was using Israel that others might know him. In his first words to Abraham, God told him that his descendants would not just be merely blessed, but that they would have a blessing to the world and that they would indeed themselves be a blessing to the world. And the world was to learn God through seeing Israel's relationship with Yahweh. And Israel, by the way, lived and worshiped and the way they conducted themselves was to point the world back to God. And so then as we get to the New Testament, we see Peter writing a letter to believers and tells them that you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. And he is quoting scriptures that originally spoke of Israel and now addressing them to Christians in the church. And the church is therefore a people belonging to God. And he continues there, for you were once not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And so we begin to acknowledge that what God is doing with Israel as his chosen people in the Old Testament, as he is with Christians and the church in the New Testament, he begins to see, and, and you can begin to see, uh, as, as this is displayed in the scriptures, that we are a purposeful people, that we are made for a purpose. And Israel made the mistake of enjoying the privileges and ignoring the purpose of them being the chosen people of God many times. And so they, they really ignored the purpose. They ignored the mission. They ignored the responsibility. And they began to enjoy the privileges of being God's people without the responsibility and seeing the mission. And what was that? Peter says, proclaiming the excellencies of him who was called you out of darkness into marvelous light. And God has made us his holy people, not only because he loves us, 
but because he loves the world. And he wants the church to be a signal to the world, a lighthouse in dark and dangerous seas of the world that we might show them God's light on display. And so Peter goes on to say, he says, Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts, which wage war against the soul. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles or unbelievers, so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may become of your, uh, they, they may, because of your good works, as they observe them, glorify day, God in the day of visitation. So how do we become the giant glowing arrow pointing others to God? It's by holy, godly living. And so when Christians live holy lives in front of the world, it can have this tremendous impact upon them. And we represent God to the world around us. We acknowledge that this is what we are doing uh, to the world around us, that we have this responsibility to be a witness to the world. And this is why God has called us as a church to show Christ to the world, right? So it's not just about our internal living. And again, just to kind of reiterate that, it's a very dangerous thing. That's very easy within Christian circles just to begin kind of being uh, internally focused, even towards good things, wonderful things, our own uh, godly living even, our own values of what we have as, as a church body, but to acknowledge and remember that one of the purposes that God is accomplishing in that is to be a light and a testimony to the world around us. So how we live and how we speak and how we treat one another is of great importance. So just like a U.S. ambassador to another country, if they were to act poorly in that country, maybe breaking the laws of that country or just being a poor representative of the U.S., the people in that country will think less of us, right? Uh, we see this. <laughs> we see this uh, in, in recent years even. And it begins to damage the reputation of the United States. You know, you, I don't know about you, but I, I even wonder lately, like, what do other countries think of us? You know, I mean, I, I don't want to just have this, like, pride of, you know, American nationalism, but there, there is a point, like, man, are we just being laughed at around the world? Like, it, it seems like maybe we would be. But if we, ambassadors for Christ, act poorly, how much more important? is that to the kingdom of God? It's one thing, you know, for the U.S., this country that has been known for years and years and years to be a superpower and significant influence and power over the world, global economy and everything else, if we begin to be kind of ridiculed and our reputation slandered a little bit and our just perception around the world begins to not be what it once was. But how much more when the citizens of the kingdom of God begin to act unbecomingly towards one another and towards the world, and we begin to impact the character and reputation of the God that we represent in his kingdom. So we must preserve and promote the reputation of Christ in the world around us 
not only by our fellowship, our love for one another, the, all that we care for and desire to accomplish uh, in each other's lives through fellowship, uh, but even through the importance of our godly living as an individual, but as a corporate body as well. And so I would just want to do the same thing here is just kind of talk about, so what are some practical implications of godly living and the importance of that, or maybe some examples that you've seen where, ooh, yeah, like that, that's, that's concerning uh, within the Christian world uh, of, and the implications that that has upon other people's perspective of Christianity. Uh, what are some thoughts there as it relates to what maybe you've seen or uh, what you desire to do and accomplish in your own life as it relates to uh, representing our King well? Any thoughts? Kay and yeah. I were just talking about how, you know, there's positives to electronics while at the same time it's causing a lot of us to become incredibly self-focused on our devices and how we are not being purposeful a lot of times or missing out on opportunities to see the needs of others and to love others, to you know, talk with people on the soccer sidelines that are on you know, our kids' teams or whatever because we're just dealing with whatever's on our phone. Um, and just that reminder to put those down and to look up, and there's a lot of hurting people that don't know Jesus. Um, and just to, just, for that, just to be aware of that, that you know, there's so much more than our devices hurting people that need just to be reached out to or talked to hmm. or whatever. Okay, good. What are ways that, yeah, Doug? Um, one time at work, um, you know, a lot of us try to be kind and nice among the people around us. And, um, and you know, I tried to do that at work. And I had a lady come to me and she said, you know, um, you're, you're very nice to thank you. I went home and I was deeply convicted because who got the glory in that conversation? Mm. Christ, it wasn't Christ. Mm. It was me. Mm. And so I went back to her the next day and I said I have a, a tremendous apology I want to offer to you. She goes, why? Said, because <laughs> you said I was nice. You need to know something. I wasn't nice once upon a time. Mm. Christ made me nice. Christ gave me the, the desire I bet. Thank you for that clarification. Yeah. <laughs> but I didn't care. Because yeah. Because I was so deeply convicted by her saying, hmm. You're nice. That's good. Yeah. All right. Yeah. 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 So I really wanted to clarify yeah. that my niceness. Nice can send people to hell, right? Yeah. 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 Wow. That's great. So that intentionality, right? Is, you know, just consideration when the Lord convicted you of that to go back and have an intentional conversation for the sake of the gospel and that that it would be understood that yeah your your niceness is a reflection of what Christ has done for you not just oh yeah it's a really nice guy yeah good yeah
all not our mistakes and be able to say sorry because and I have said defensive words to hmm. workers and I have to go back to them and say hmm. I I'm sorry because I was just way out of my league. And I think the world also wants to see us in our fallen state and be able to see how redemption redemptive love of Christ hmm. is in and out because it's like it's I always like to look at the four lepers in Second Kings when they they found the Syrian army devastated and there was so much food. And they said, "Look, we have to tell this to the other guys because they should also have this blessing." And so it's the same thing. It's it's a blessing that God took us from my my dire state of sin and be able to say, "Look, I was forgiven." And so mm. I have to ask forgiveness as well. Mm. And I I have to say, "Look, I was mistaken." Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's that's powerful even in our own home, let alone you go into into the world. Yeah, and uh begin to, you know, demonstrate that to the world that uh you would actually come back and take ownership of, you know, something that was said or done. Um and then attach that to why in the world would I possibly do that? Uh, well, because of the reputation of Christ. That's that's great. Other thoughts? Yeah, Lynn. I was going to say, I think you know, the, the slam that there is um, towards God when you have someone who claims Christ and they do something heinous and they yeah. are involved in a school shooting. They're shooting people at an abortion clinic, you know, all in the mm. name. Right. And it, it just slams him. And unfortunately, it's, I think, hard for that person to make the right claim because he's not going to say, oh, I made a mistake. It's the rest of us looking at that situation and thinking, oh, my gosh, how can we you know, make this right with the world? Because that's not who yeah. we are. Just because we love Jesus doesn't yeah. mean we're going to go to an abortion clinic and kill people. Right. Right. So that has always troubled me. Yeah. And then there's someone who claims Christ yes. Jesus and then they do something so bad. Yeah. yeah. Remember when we went through that series of leaders, well known Christian, put air quotes there, leaders who were falling one after the other at some sexual thing. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and that was everything I could do to maintain any kind of a witness at my job. Mm. Because guys were like, yeah, that's what you're like. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. yeah. And it, I, you, some of you were too young to remember that, but it was like three or four guys in a row. Mm-hmm. Man, you guys, please yeah. just step away. Yeah. 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 It's a great reminder of the importance of, yeah, our our godly living because, yeah, well, I mean, at, at that level, right, you know, everyone perceives them as leaders within Christianity and they're, uh, uh, you know, in the news and all that. And it's like, how do you possibly recover, you know, from that other than just live a faithful, consistent life? So, yeah. One simple little thing is what do Christian bumper 
bumper sticker you put on your car. <laughs> then you drive down Manchester Road. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, I actually will not do it because I don't trust my driving enough. <laughs> yeah, because I, I, that's an intentional decision. Uh, I, I don't have any problem with anybody that does it, but just the unintentional, you know, like, I mean, things happen. Like yesterday, I was just driving, I dropped my son off at, um, at uh, a birthday party. It's coming back, and, um, you know, this guy swerves into the the turn lane to pass me and go around and then yeah I was just like what what did did I do something no he was just in a hurry comes about that he gets like three or four cars behind me at the next stoplight like <laughs> what was the point of that like it just wasn't quite going quick enough for you had I really don't think truly had anything to do with my driving I just think he was in a hurry and he was irritated that he wanted to go up and around me. And yeah, I, I just don't want that uh, potential for uh, for people. Just uh, there's there's too much road rage and. Yeah right. <laughs> yeah, yeah right. Yeah. No, that's that's a it's a good point that I have I have thought through that one of just. Uh, I, I don't trust my driving enough or just the reality of people's craziness to put my reputation on my car. So, Have you ever uh, heard somebody's testimony and they said, oh, I read this bumper sticker? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's, uh, it's interesting. Any other thoughts before we, yeah. I was just saying yeah. who you are at home is so critical okay. to this, you know, behind closed doors, you know, that what a person is and nothing more. You know, our pursuit of godliness is a witness to the world, you know, actually. Yeah. Pursuing God and just thinking about how our Lord was, that we would spend that time with the Lord up on the mountainside and yeah, just how that overflows into everything. Yeah. 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 Thank you. Yeah, it's that consistent integrity of being what you are at home or wherever you're at. Um, um, and again, back to the kids, that, that even has an impact on how they view Christianity as they grow up in our homes and um, see our lives uh, wherever we're at. So, well, good. Well, thank you for being uh, with us. I, I trust and hope that this was a fruitful time to consider uh, our fellowship with one another. My prompting encouragement would be uh, press in uh, press into hospitality, press into opportunities to engage in uh, opportunities uh, of fellowship, loving one another, acts of service, kindness towards one another that the world around us might see uh, our love for one another and know for sure. There's no other question about it. There's no other explanation. Those people are disciples of Christ and that he might receive all the glory as we live and strive to do that for him. Let me just pray real quickly and we'll be dismissed. Father, thank you for this time. Uh, thank you for uh, your word that helps us understand the value uh, of biblical fellowship, Lord, that that's first and foremost found in uh, the love that you've demonstrated towards us in the person of Christ and Lord, saving us mercifully. Uh, Lord, that you've been so kind and gracious to 
uh, give us uh, a way to have a relationship with you through the person of Christ, that he forgave us of our sins and that now we simply have the opportunity to live our lives as an act of gratitude and thanksgiving for all that he's done uh, in our lives. We pray that that would be demonstrated in our relationships with one another, that uh, it would be seen uh, by those around us. Maybe it's an unsaved family member. Maybe it's an unsaved uh, coworker. Maybe it's a classmate. Maybe it's a neighbor. Lord, whoever that is that you put in the sphere of our influence and uh, sphere of our um, interaction, Lord, we just pray that uh, you would use those things and that you would give us the boldness and courage uh, to speak of the person of Christ, uh, being the motivation and being uh, that which uh, prompts us and encourages us uh, towards this kind of living, godly living, uh, holy living before you, and that we would have uh, fellowship in you and Lord, even as we have opportunity to uh, deal with those that are in sin, uh, Lord, that are living uh, according to the course of this world, Lord, that we would uh, be able to graciously interact with them and show them uh, how their sin is a offense against a holy God and that we have opportunity to uh, bring the truth to bear on their lives in a winsome, courageous, convicting way, not because of our presentation, but because of the truth being presented to them. And Lord, that you would receive all the glory in that. In Jesus' name, amen.